Welcome, guys. This is so fun to see everybody. It is such, it's so fun for me to realize that we, we started in September, and it already feels uh, truly to me that we've just become a family. I mean, because I see you guys walking in, and it's like, I've, it's only been like three weeks since we've seen each other. I'm like, oh, I get to see you guys again. And so I just, I just realized that there's just a special place that a lot of you guys uh, fill already. And I just get excited about 2017, continuing this journey as we, as we start this church, as we continue to look outward and bless the community here in Mountain View. Uh, I'm really excited. Um, today, what we're going to be doing is we're, we're doing a special message. I want to look at Psalm 27. If you have your Bibles, you can grab, the, grab it, um, you know, open up in your app or whatever. Uh, it'll be on the screen, so that's, that's easy enough. But a psalm that has meant a lot to me over the years, and it's one that I go back to often uh, at the start of a new year. At the time when everybody's reflecting and making resolutions, uh, it's kind of one where I just, I just choose to uh, go back to and... and um, and relearn from, draw from. Uh, I feel like we live in a culture that is inundated with how-tos. Have you noticed this? I feel like over the last few years, especially when you look online, there are countless how-to articles. I mean, have you seen these? How to do this? How to do this? You know, I was looking up five key way, five keys to surviving Silicon Valley's housing market. Key one: find a therapist. Um, that's my own. Uh, you know, this one caught my attention. How to talk your way into a cheaper cable bill. Uh, that was one of the top-rated how-to articles of this year. Yeah, because uh, we all have friends, and maybe this is you, where the rest of us are paying $200 a month for our cable bill, and you're paying like $2, and you get the movie channels. Like, oh, yeah, I just threatened to cancel. It's like, whatever. Um, how to actually keep your New Year's resolutions. Uh, th that's very appropriate. Uh, and this one, uh, how to write how-to articles. Um, which is really funny because if you actually Google that, it will just, your browser will explode. Uh, it's, it's a really trending thing. This is how-to uh, thought in our culture. Uh, and in some ways, I really love this, the how-to stuff that we have because in this internet age, in this information age, there are so many things that we can learn, that we can learn to do, that we can learn to understand that will really better improve our lives. Um, and it's so funny. I'm sucker, such a sucker for it. I, I know it's a marketing ploy, but the titles, they might as well write, whatever you do, don't, and I have to click. Like, what is that saying? But so in some ways, I love it because I, I, it's, it's very good for self-improvement and all that. I'm sure you guys are into it. But in, in another sense, uh, it is just so overwhelming. And it's not just online. It's on the TV. It's, it's in literature. It's on billboards as we're driving to work on the 101 or whatever. There's all these things of if you're going to do something, do this. You got to get this. You got to know this. It's overwhelming, and I feel like in a season of, of, of resolutions and trying to get, it just feels like a, a mountain is coming at us. So where do we start? How do we prioritize? Well, what I love about this psalm, and we're going to be looking at one verse in particular within the greater context of the psalm, Psalm 27, verse 4, is that it is King David uh, the, writing a thousand years before Jesus uh, was born, King David giving us his resolution. It's the Bible's resolution. If you're going to do one thing, if you're going to get, get one thing that you're going to go after, get this. And indeed, it's not just a uh, New Year's resolution. It's a, it's a life resolution. Uh, let, me, let me read it here. It says, King David said, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. 
Now, the context for this is David was in some serious, serious trouble. Uh, you see that all over, and this, this will be up here. Uh, in verse 2, there's wicked people advancing against him. Again, enemies and foes coming after him. Verse 3, though an army besieges him, which it's, it's important to remember that this is an ancient king writing, which meant that there were swords, spears, you know, all that real actual life and death scenarios for him that he was facing. But, but just in case we think that that's all he's writing to, he goes on and says in verse 10, Though my father and mother forsake me. Verse 12, he's talking about people who slander, who are slandering him. And then verse 5, he kind of has this catch-all thought. He's just in the day of trouble. Uh, the day of trouble is just there. And so here's the resolution. Uh, whatever trouble you may be facing, or maybe, maybe you're not facing any trouble uh, by God's grace. Uh, King David says, the Bible says, uh, here's something to shoot for. Prioritize a relationship with the Lord, and everything else will fall into place. By the way, this is also an invitation to you. Uh, the Bible uh, would give you an invitation that even if you're not a follower of God, uh, to uh, seek Him and find that things will fall into place in ways that you will uh, find are, are better than you'd even imagine. Um, but here's what I want to do is look at this passage, and David shows us two ways, two how-tos. Okay, I just love irony, and I'm up here, and I can do that. So uh, how to prioritize a relationship with God. And I love how uh, nuanced he gets here. Um, but number one, he says, uh, we must gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. In this resolution, we must gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He says, one thing I ask from God, this is only do I, that I seek, and it goes on to say, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, which is a really interesting way of putting it, is it not, to think about uh, beauty? Is that something you would, like, if... You know, you'd think in pursuing God that you would pursue his beauty. I don't think we really would put it that way, but King David puts it that way. He says we've got to seek his beauty. By the way, in the midst of all this trouble, what he's not saying is uh, we need to seek, you know, the first thing that I seek is God deliver me from this. God beat back my enemies. God provide for me good things. He says the first thing is I want to seek and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And look at how intimate this language is. Verse 8 and 9. He's, he's talking about seeking his face. My heart says to you, of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Meaning, David wants to be in the presence of God. He wants this intimate relationship where the two will be exposed to each other. It's kind of like on a first date with somebody that you deeply uh, are attracted to. There's in one sense, you're, you're very uh, intimidated by that scenario. But in the other sense, you're, you're really, really amazed by it. You're kind of taken aback. Uh, King David is saying, when we seek his face, when we seek God's face, we'll see beauty gazing back at us. And there's this wonderful story in the New Testament uh, covering the life in ministry of Jesus in, in, in the account of Luke. It's Luke 19. I don't, it's not going to be on the board. If you want to follow along, you can find it. But in Luke 19, there's a, st a story of Zacchaeus, a man who comes face to face with the beauty of the Son of God, and it completely changes him. I love thinking about the story in, in the context of Psalm 27. The, 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 the story is Zacchaeus had no friends. He was a chief tax collector. Now, for those of you who've, who've been with us as we've been going through the book of Mark, you know that when Jesus called Levi, a tax collector, to be one of his disciples, that was scandalous. 
You know, the, the tax collectors in that day and age by their fellow, fellow countrymen were considered public enemy number one. I mean, they were crooks. They were stealing their own people out of money with the complete backing of the Roman uh, uh, party. And so they were just despised. They were wealthy because of their fellow countrymen. He was a chief tax collector. I mean, everybody just, I mean, if there was somebody people hated, it was Zacchaeus. And what's interesting here is it says in verse 3 of, of Luke 19, I love this. It, it, think about it in terms of Psalm 27, verse 4. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And so it, it goes on to say, being, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Which uh, I love this little thought as a quick side note. I'm reading this uh, Bible to my, my five-year-old son. Uh, it's a Jesus storybook Bible, I think is what it's called. And it's kind of retelling of some of these, these stories in the Bible. And uh, their, her insight as she retells the story of Zacchaeus is that not just because he was small physically, he couldn't see over, but it was undoubtedly because people just couldn't stand Zacchaeus, that they weren't willing to let him through. I mean, you'd figure that you'd let him through. Anyway, he, he figured he had to find some way to see Jesus because that was his heart's desire. And so he finds a sycamore tree and he climbs up. And when he gets up to the top, he gets to see Jesus' beauty. And here's Jesus' beauty in the story. The very next verse is Jesus comes, looks up, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must come over. And then you have this verse that says, and everybody was like, why would Jesus go over to his house? He's a sinner. And the very next verse, Jesus, eating with Zacchaeus, says, oh my goodness, Jesus, if I have cheated, I'm selling half of my possessions, giving it to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of their money, I'm going to repay them fourfold. Complete transformation because of Jesus' beauty. Where's Jesus' beauty in that story? What is the beauty? What made him trans like his life change to such great degree? All he said was, come on down, I'm coming over to your house today. It's because everybody knew Zacchaeus was a crook. Everybody knew he was a cheater. He was a shady guy. Zacchaeus knew this about himself. Jesus knew this about Zacchaeus. And Jesus said, you know what? I know everything about you, but I want to be in your life. Will you have me over? And Zacchaeus had him over. That is real beauty that Zacchaeus wasn't anticipating experiencing, and yet it completely changed his life. But here's the thing that I love uh, that this story of Zacchaeus illustrates for us of, of what David is writing in Psalm 27. David says, one thing I ask, this is what I seek. I, I ask this of you, God. In other words, it is up for God to reveal himself to us. We are seeking him, is what David is saying. I'm seeking you, but really it's God who's going to, it's his beauty that's really gazing back at us. And we see that, by the way, in the story with Zacchaeus, because at the very end of that, after all of this happens, Zacchaeus has changed. Jesus gets up, verse 10 of Luke 19, says, Today salvation has come to this man, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Which was it? Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree seeking Jesus, or that Jesus came to seek and save the lost? And what the Bible shows us, the story of Zacchaeus, what Psalm 27 shows us, is really when we seek God, we, see, we actually find that it's his beauty that's gazing at us. You guys, I don't know if you ever saw that um, old far side, I think it's far side uh, cartoon illustration. I couldn't find it online, look for it for a while. Um, but it's the one where you look at it, and there's a guy staring in what appears to be a telescope. And at the other end is God staring back at him. 
and what the illustrator, of course, wants you to, to progress through as you look at this image is you kind of like take in all the details, you see more, and you realize, wait, that's kind of weird. What's he stepping on or stepping inside? What's he in? Is that a Petri dish? In that telescope, is that, that's a microscope. And of course, oh, that's the conclusion. It's not so much man looking at God, but God looking at man. Uh, this is the relationship that God desires to have from us. He wants us to open our heart and just take an initial step towards us, and what we'll find is that he'll shoulder us the rest of the way. He will show us his beauty. And so here's a question for you, for, for me, as we think about uh, this thought, as we think about this year, is how can you gaze on the beauty of the Lord? Uh, I, I've read that gazing is not a one-time glimpse, but a steady, sustained focus. It is not a petitionary prayer, but praising, admiring, and enjoying God just for who he is. I've heard it said like this. It's, it's like a beautiful landscape. You don't just kind of look up at a landscape and you're done. I mean, you can do that. But really, whenever you see people looking at like a sunset, they're just transfixed on it. it is just, they're just taking it in. And it's a joyful thing to do. And if somebody were to come up to them and say, why are you doing this? What's the purpose in this? Uh, they're not going to answer, well, it's a, you know, it's a means towards something else. No, they're going to say it's deeply satisfying in itself. Uh, that is the beauty of God. He desires most from us. He, he desires most himself, and, he would, and what we ought to desire most is a relationship with him. Um, it's interesting to me that I came across this uh, study of pastors who were interviewed uh, on their deathbeds, which, I mean, don't sign me up for that one uh, just yet. Um, but they were asked a, a series of questions, and uh, one of those is like, what are some of your big regrets in life? And the, the top two answers um, in descending order, so and the second answer they gave was, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. Um, but the number one answer pastors gave was, I wish I spent more time in personal devotion with the Lord. And I thought that was really interesting. And I was talking to my buddy about this, a pastor friend of mine, and he said, man, yeah, it's so funny to me how uh, pastors, it's so easily, like you're spending time studying for a sermon, studying, but you can, it can really, your relationship with God can become like a job instead of an intimate relationship. Um, the question I'd ask for you is, what step can you take to gaze on the beauty of the Lord? What sycamore tree can you climb? I love that thought of a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus had to get a little undignified, did he not? It is a little awkward for him to climb up there. But that was in his way, taking a step, taking a heart step to the Lord. Maybe you are not a follower of God. And the Bible invites you into understanding that God is there and he wants to have a relationship with you. And I've said this in the past, but this is one uh, prayer I would encourage you to think. Maybe this is a sycamore tree for you to climb. And that is to pray this prayer. God, if you're there, would you show yourself to me? Would you reveal your, like opening your heart to say that? It, like in meaning, like I, I feel that. And what's interesting to me is, though nobody may be around, uh, though nobody could hear that prayer as you pray that, it still might feel like an awkward prayer. It's like I don't know, I don't just I pray. But it's an opening heart, and what you might, what you'll find is is God's beauty gazing back at you. I had a friend that we had talked a number of years about um, Christian things. I mean, he knew I was a pastor, and I shared with him about uh, the gospel and the good news of Jesus and all that sort of thing. And at one point, this is years into our relationship, uh, he just at one day said, you know what, I just feel like God has always been there. I was like, what? What just happened? And by the way, that was not in a conversation of, you know, hey, you know, I need to argue you into the faith. I mean, no, that's not how Jesus works. That's not usually how I work. I just kind of 
put it there. And it, so it was, it was none of that kind of conversation. He just kind of said it on his own. He just started listing off things. Like, I just feel like I've seen God's hand in my life here, here, and here. Uh, he was seeing God's beauty in his life. Uh, others of you, perhaps you found that beauty initially. Perhaps you are a follower of his. But what does it mean for you to gaze upon the beauty? I mean, low-hanging fruit application thought for Silicon Valley, I would imagine it means carving out time. Uh, you know, there's so many things vying for our time here in Silicon Valley, so many distractions, so many things. But if there's going to be a priority, if there's going to be a thing that tops all the how-tos, even of the good things, I mean, you could even, you know, a pastor saying, I'm just going to go do this for God, and yet miss and have his b- biggest regret be, oh my goodness, I didn't have this intimate, personal relationship with God that was always there available to me through Jesus. So what would that look like for you? To carve out time where you can read more about him and see his beauty that way. Time where you can pray and see his beauty there, exposed before him in thought and meditation. Or maybe this means you're going through hard times and you need to open up and become more vulnerable with others. That could be a way of gazing upon God's beauty in a way that you haven't experienced before and, 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 and see his beauty in a new way. It could be scary, it could be intimidating, but it, it is beautiful. And I'll tell you, uh, like David, if this is what matters more than anything else, it tops the how-to list, uh, he says, the Bible says that we will, we will know, when we know and experience the love of God more f- fully, all the other things will fall into place. The heavy weight will, will lighten. Because the very next verse gives us this promise. Verse 5, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. And then verse 6, he says, then my head will be exalted. But here's the thing. When you look at verse 4, we're going, to do, we're going to do one more thought here, and then we'll wrap up. You can't just gaze upon the beauty of God just anywhere. Uh, did you notice that in verse 4? It's really fascinating to me. There's a specific location that he gives. He says, one thing I seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And so that's the second thought here is to experience God's beauty most fully, we must go into the temple. Now, it was, it was funny. I was going over this message with Cindy, and uh, she was like, what do you mean, go, go into the temple? Like, are you talking to go to church? Like, I mean, what, what does that mean? And I have come to learn that if Cindy is confused, I'm in trouble. So the point is not going to church, okay? Uh, that is definitely not the point. What, Je- what, what, excuse me, what David is doing here as he talks about this is he is pointing forward to God's love for us in Jesus. It is such a beautiful picture, beautiful picture. Uh, when we think about the temple, what's going on? That we must go into his temple every year. Uh, for, for centuries, the high priests of the Israels would go into the temple. They'd go into the Holy of, the holy of Holies, the center, central place of the temple. Once a year, they'd go behind the curtain, and they would sprinkle blood on the beautiful uh, Ark of the Covenant, this beautiful altar of God, pure gold, mastercrafted. I mean, all the movies get it right. It's a beautiful object. But every year, for centuries, blood, blood. And that, of course, is a picture, uh, ultimately, uh, to what Jesus has done for us. Because the most beautiful of objects, you think about that altar over, over centuries, it would have been, you know, it would have been caked over with blood. It would have been blackened. This is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Philippians 2 tells us how beautiful Jesus was. I mean, he's just off the charts beautiful. Nothing we can see in this life. Person, sunset, 
He is just the most beautiful. But he emptied himself to die a gruesome death for us on the cross. A gruesome death, however you slice it, by the way. Even if you remove the spiritual meaning behind it, dying on the cross, a criminal's death, just straight up torture, just a, a horrible death. And then to think about the spiritual sacrifice that it was, it was his blood being poured out. And not just a blood from one bowl for the sins of a people, but the precious blood of God for the sins of all people. In other words, if you think about it, if the Ark of the Covenant had gotten that black and nasty over the years, from that once a year occasion, how much more so was it a big deal for Jesus to die on the cross for us? Um, in short, Jesus became ugly beyond imagine so that we might become beautiful. That's the gospel. That's what David was pointing forward towards, uh, that we might uh, go into his temple, that we might experience God's love at its grace, greatest intensity when we meditate and reflect on his goodness to us in the, in, in the gospel. And I'll tell you what, just as a, as a quick thought, I mean, I was going over this message even last night, and I realized, oh my goodness, I take this so for granted. I mean, I just, there's just so many times in my life, uh, even right now, where I'm just like, I just, you know, just subtly, unintentionally, intentionally complain about things. Like, oh, this is hard. This is what's going on. But then I, when I think about what the gospel is, the good news, the centrality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, dying for me, dying for us, I feel like a whiner in that moment because he's just so good. His beauty just outshines any of that. And it makes what I'm facing uh, have a lot more perspective and be a lot more bearable, to say the least. That his weight is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, truly. Uh, but here's the thing. I love to say it this way. We can never graduate from the gospel. What do I mean by that? Is I think it's really easy to just think, okay, I believe in Jesus. I receive God's love for me on the cross. If, if we're Christian, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll have this progression of thinking. And then I'm going to move on to do things for God. Maybe we say it that way, or maybe we feel it that way. Maybe we just do it subtly. But the point is, before being in the hands and feet of God, the gospel should make us drop to our knees daily in love and admiration for the personal, intimate relation that we get to seek the face of God who loves us so intimately that he sent his son to die for us. Uh, we live in a day that is inundated with how-tos. I mean, there's so many how-tos, and they're great. Hey, do this, you get better. Do this, understand this, and things will go better. And by the way, I mean, this is just kind of a, maybe pet peeve is too strong of a word. This, this is like so true in the Christian subculture, even. It's like, you know, there's all these writings of, hey, do these things, clean up this part of your life, do these sorts of and good things. But we can miss what the most important thing is, and that is a deep personal relationship with God. And I think it grieves God when we miss that. Because that was, that's what this is all about. Uh, and what David says is that when we seek him, we experience his beauty. Everything else will fall into place. It doesn't mean trouble will go away, um, but it means, uh, it, it means uh, trouble will take on a new perspective. So if you want to start with a New Year's resolu resolution, a life resolution, start here. Psalm 27.4, uh, prioritizing relationship with God. Seek and to gaze upon his beauty. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your beauty.
There are so many things in this life that we get to look around and we get to taste, feel, touch. That is so beautiful. Sunsets, music, rain, uh, people, friends, family members, church family members. It's all so beautiful, even as it's uh, clearly in need of, of help. But that's what's so beautiful, fathers, is your beauty outshines it all. And we so undeserve it. I mean, if there's anything that, that's clear from what David is saying, from what we see in the scriptures, is that uh, we don't deserve your love, but you just make it available so freely. And really, all that you're looking for is for us to make that step in our heart to just say, uh, we seek your face. This only do we seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek you in your temple. Thank you for your love and what you've done for us. Lord, would you help this shape us individually and as a church in this new year? Would the year of 2017 individually and as a church and as a society be one that is, that is beautiful? I feel like as I pray that prayer, it's, it's a big prayer, but Lord, you, you're, you're God of big prayers. But we're so thankful that though an army besiege us, Though father and mother perhaps forsake us, though people slander us, though there's a day of trouble, that you're there. You love us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.